Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Sawbones, a Merrill tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. We used to be on this great, this great string, the great combo of, I believe, 2017, when we chained a bunch of episodes together. Do you remember this? Oh where, yeah. Where ideas kept for episodes kept chaining to other ideas from uh-huh. each one would spring anew, and we broke that chain. We broke the chain, but in a sense, we are we're Taking a run unintentionally at a uh, an unplanned new chain. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I guess you can't really plan the chain. Otherwise, it's like it, it's or, it has to be it's organic. Ju- it's just a bit. It's just you plan it ahead. To, do you know? Do you know though that? And I we'll get to this in this episode. I already know next week's topic because I found it accidentally while researching this episode. <laughs> Combo. So the chain continues. The chain continues. But this week we're going to talk about something that came up uh, a lot during our. Discussion of uh, CBD oil. As mm-hmm. if you didn't listen to that, go check that out. And um, it it is something that I think I think everybody is sort of familiar with, but it comes up so frequently in, I mean, nearly every every episode of Sawbones. I mean, in, yeah. in some sense, is about it. Um, so it's cool that we're we're finally going to talk about the placebo effect. That's right. Justin, the placebo effect or the placebo response depends on if you're talking about effect. Well, it depends on if you're talking about you say tomato, I no. say tomato, you say response, I say effect. Well, no. Let's call the whole thing off. It it depends on if you're talking about groups or individuals. You say potato, no. I say potato. I mean, it's the same. Okay. Are you the good same there? Thing. Are you good with that? Yeah. Are you good there? Okay. A lot of people have asked us to talk about this, and I mean, it makes sense because this this topic really does relate to almost every single episode of Sawbones. Yeah, in a, in a sense. So, uh, for all the emails we've gotten suggesting, maybe this, not vaccines. Yeah, not that, but although placebo controlled trials have been used to show whether or not vaccines have worked through history, but anyway, thank you to Thaddeus and Adrian and Jennifer and Elizabeth and John and. Ethan and Drew and Janie and Marie and Noah and Isaac and Emily and Guybrush and Aria and Guybrush? Riz. That was the name. Fantastic. Lots, lots of people have recommended this and they are right because uh, placebos, the use of placebos, especially in double blind trials and drug trials where you don't know if what you're getting is real or not, have become necessary to evidence-based medicine. How so? Because you, because if you're going to test two people 
to see like, does this medicine work? And you give one person the medicine and then you don't give the other person anything. That's a problem, right? Right. Because you can't control for the concept of placebo. Because one person got a pill, the other person didn't. The person who got the pill might be responding just because they got a pill, right? Right. So you have to give the other person a pill too. What kind of pill? A sugar pill. Anyway, when so I placebo first, has I, become necessary to do science. I want to say I was, um, when I was a kid and I first found out placebo, I heard they were called, they were mm -hmm. sugar pills. And I, uh, I always really wanted some placebos. They sounded like, kind of like, like they were candy. And I wanted, I wanted to try some because I heard they were sugar pills. Anyway. Well, was the one I saw sidebar. Never ate any placebos. As someone who took uh, birth control for a while, and you, if you, the many birth control pills do have sugar pills for the week that you're supposed to be on your period. Yeah, uh, they don't taste like anything. Am I allowed to? Are you gonna talk about sugar pills a lot more? I'm. I mean, I'm. I'll mention them. Okay, I'm gonna continue my sidebar here. <laughs> if you're gonna give me something, and you're gonna sneak me in something. Why can't it be, why do we have to be sugar? If I'm going to consume sugar, I want to know I'm doing it. It's like a big deal if I'm going to eat sugar. I want to know that I'm eating the sugar. Why can't it be like, I don't know, math pills or a, something? It's just like, a not dangerous substance in tiny amounts that, I mean, I don't know. Overlong New Yorker article pills. Like, at least if I'm going to ingest something, like, let it be something that's like, it's supposed to help my help me in some way. It used to be bread pills. We'll get into that. Oh, excellent. Uh, the origin of the word placebo comes from the Latin for I shall please. Okay. That you can find that in scripture. I believe it is Psalm 116 where they say placebo domino, I shall please the Lord. All right. Uh, but I although although I read one one author claiming that this is a mistranslation. Uh, okay. That when it was translated from Greek into Latin, that it, it should have been ambulabo coram domino. I shall I shall walk before the Lord. So the word placebo is like a mistake. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Placebo means I shall please, and that makes sense because it's a medicine that pleases you. Because it makes you think you're taking medicine. whether whether or not it works, it pleases you. That's the that's the concept. Uh, the the. The word placebo in this sense was used first in the 14th century um, in reference to hired mourners at funerals. Okay. So you would get people to come and mourn to make someone, I guess, look more... Beloved? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, along the... And they would begin... They would begin like openly sobbing and wailing around the ninth <laughs> verse of Psalm 114, placebo domino, I shall, I shall please the Lord. And so they were called uh, placebos. Um, and a singer of placebo was someone who would claim that they knew the person who had passed away, mm -hmm. uh, even though they didn't really, to try to get like in on the big dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like at the wake or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe even to try to get money. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was tied to deception. Okay. The concept of placebo even then was tied to deception. Although it was a, not a deception of medicine. It was, Hey, I'm your long lost nephew. Right. Can I have some dough? <laughs> Please. 
the Catholic Church famously used placebo, and this is probably the closest like we see in the early uses of. I mean, because this is this will echo the way that it is used in medicinal trials later. Um, people in the 16th century who were claiming possession, uh, the Catholic Church wanted to try to figure out if they were really possessed or not, because there were people who were going around and making a lot of money off of fake exorcisms. Mm-hmm. They basically, they would be people who maybe had no affiliation necessarily with the Catholic Church and would go when someone was claiming possession and be like, oh, yep, 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 definitely possessed, and then do these fake exorcisms for a lot of money and cure, heal, what a save, whatever right. you want to say, the person, and then go about their business. And so the Catholic Church started to say, listen, uh, one, that exorcism was fake. And two, I don't think that person was ever actually possessed. And so one of the ways they sought to prove that was by giving them fake holy relics. The concept being that in a case of, and again, this is, you have to actually believe in possession for this whole, this whole situation that I am describing to you to work. You believe that possession can happen. And that in that case, a person who is possessed by a demon or the devil would be harmed by a holy relic. If it was truly a holy whatever, a rosary or a cross or right. whatever, if it was truly that, then touching it would burn their skin or cause them pain or whatever, cause them great distress. And so the Catholic Church would send people out with these fake relics to uh. hand them to people who were possessed and then see if they reacted. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And if okay. they did, then you'd say, listen, you're not really possessed. This is something else. Yeah. Because you're, that was fake. Okay. There's kind of a few levels there <laughs> that, going at once. I think that happens in The Exorcist, if, I don't, if I'm remembering I correctly. Remember I think it. he uses I, I was, fake holy water. One time. And I think she says it burns. So wait, it, is it the calls, twist in The Exorcist that she was just faking it the whole time? Well, I think if you've seen The Exorcist, you... That's, no, no I mean, right? Like her head goes all the way around. Everybody she can do lives. that, but. No, but I mean, I think it was based on stories of possession that were questionable and so they would unclear. Throw like a placebo chocolate cross <laughs> at them. And then I don't psych. think it was a chocolate cross necessarily. <laughs> psych, look at the wrapper. It's chocolate <laughs> the whole time. Idiot. It's not magic at all. Do they say magic? No. <laughs> Holy. Spiritually uh, magical. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, we are not experts on, ish- on anything relating to religion. Uh, the idea grew from there, began to circulate through the medical community as well. The idea of using something that was um, not necessarily active in a way that we, like, that we intended to, using a substance that, as far mm-hmm. as we knew, was either inert or whatever it did it had nothing to do with the problem but nevertheless had some sort of positive effects mm-hmm. on a patient um and the question even from the early uses of it was is that okay and we're going to kind of go through like the turn of opinion on that because um when it was first used a lot of people just found it very practical i will give you this pill and you feel better so Great. Case closed. Um, but now with our common or with our with our current concept of medical ethics, that doesn't it's not that simple. So 
placebo used to be just a standard part of medical practice. In part, this was because we didn't really know what worked or didn't work anyway, right? Right. right. So a lot of times a doctor might be employing placebo without even knowing that the placebo effect was in, was all that was working. Okay. You, You were giving a patient something that you honestly believed might help them, but it had absolutely no effect whatsoever. Right. So a true a true believer, um, you know, and so they didn't necessarily know they were using placebo, um, and you saw that a lot more before evidence based medicine because nobody, nobody knew what they were doing. If a placebo, if you're controlling for placebos, wouldn't it be, wouldn't the person giving the treatment have to be unaware as well? Yeah, yeah. If you're talking about a double blind study, but yeah. I am talking about a time when medicine inherently was placebo because right, was, right, right. Up with you. You know, it was like a tonic with like some opium in it or a bunch of sugar. Yeah, I'm with or you. Or some weeds, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or weed. Or weed. Um, there were many people had like religious or magical beliefs as to why disease happened. So if that's the kind of the perspective that you're coming from, it's easy to see how your faith in a treatment, um, your perception of the treatment could influence your response to it. I mean, if you if you already have some sort of magical belief, you know, ba- as to why the disease happened in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. And physicians, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly throughout history, had been taking advantage of that, you know, whether they intended to be deceiving the patient or just they didn't, they thought the medicine worked too or they had no idea and were doing their best. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a lot about Pere, um, who was, Groundbreaking in many way and bra parade in, in the surgical field. But he, he also said in the 1500s that a physician's duty was to cure occasionally, relieve often, console always. And mm-hmm. placebo is just a part of that. If you can't do anything else, you console your patient, giving them something that maybe doesn't work but makes them feel better. Mm-hmm. Is that not providing con- consolation? Not. <laughs> I go back and forth on this, honestly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you and I have talked about this enough times that I don't think I know. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have a strong feeling anymore. I used to, but you've worn me down. The, there are two realms that we're going to continue to talk about placebo in. In this way that I'm, I'm kind of referencing it already, that physicians were giving patients medicines that either they did or didn't know. Either they didn't know if they worked at all or they absolutely knew they didn't work at all. And letting them just have whatever effect from it, you know, because that was their job to help the patient out, even if they couldn't really. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also the use of placebo in a study to, you know, to have like a control group, right? Mm -hmm. Placebo is used in the control group. The ones who don't get the don't get the medication or don't get the treatment. Um, But you don't want them to know they didn't because you're trying to control for a placebo effect. And where did that come from? Because that's a whole other use of placebo. In 1752, James Lynn, who I think we talked about when we did the scurvy episode. I'm sure we did. Yeah. Um, he published the, the, the treatise of, the scur- of scurvy after performing what was probably one of the first placebo-controlled mm-hmm. experiments, well, although he didn't call it that. That's probably what it was. So he, uh, and I think, again, we may have talked about this in our scurvy episode, but he picked uh, 12 sailors who already had scurvy. He divided them into groups of two, and um, each group had um, one of six different treatments for 15 days. Mm -hmm. 
So one group got cider, another got sulfuric acid, another got vinegar, another got seawater, another got lemons and oranges, and the last one got garlic, mustard, and horseradish. Yum. Sounds good. Potent. Kind of an odd, like, one at the end there. Yeah. Like, just throw everything else that has any effect in there. <laughs> um, if you were in the fifth group and you got lemons and oranges, you got better. Um, cider also seemed to make people a little bit better. Everybody else was not doing well. Mm-hmm. And they were in placebo groups, even though you didn't call them that. Huh. Um, but that demonstrated kind of the, even if you think one thing works, you give everybody something. Okay, right. Right? You don't just, don't, like, you don't get any medicine. Let's see what happens to you. Give everybody something. Um, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, uh, spoke of the rampant use of placebo in 1807. He talked about doctors as pious frauds. (laughs) That's nice. And he talked about a doctor who said that he prescribed more than anything else he prescribed. He gave out bread pills that were dyed various colors. And powders made of hickory ash. What what on earth is, could could a bread pill be? Like a like pill you think it's just like squeezed bread. real tight. That's kind of what I was envisioning. Like like, a, you, like like you take a school roll and you like squish the mm-hmm. insides into a little like a little. I'd rather have that like, one. I don't care what medicine you got. Give me a school roll any day. <laughs> Even after it's been squished. Uh, especially after it's been squished, it's returned to its dough-like state, and it's ready. Oh, it's perfect. That's what Charlie likes to do. Charlie always saves me her toast crusts, uh-huh. but first she likes to kind of, if she gets to them to give to me, she balls them up. <laughs> so not only is it just the crust of the toast, it's the balled-up, squished crust of the toast. Delicious. I'll take it. Um, but... But you said things are things. Yeah, so things changed. are gonna things are gonna change. This this idea that giving somebody a bread pill could still be considered pious, even in its fraudulence, is about to change. Okay, well, what happened? Well, I'm gonna tell you about that, Justin. But let's go to the billing department. You're kidding first. me. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. 
But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. So. Things changed. As I mentioned, yeah, things are things are about to change. So placebo at this point in history is is a term that is being used almost for any, like, common medication. Really? Um, yeah, like, and it was... And and in referenced in part what I already mentioned, the fact that we really didn't know what worked and what didn't. So there was a lot of stuff that people used a lot, a lot of tonics and elixirs and soothing syrups and things like that, that the medical, on some level, I think doctors knew didn't really do anything. Right. Um, and so they would call it placebo, but they they didn't they you didn't know it to be fake, but you kind of did. You had it in your gut, right? And gut feeling. Um, but and and that was that was all the way up until double blind studies to prove this stuff became a thing, and then we start to see the word placebo being used in that context. And this shift that starts to happen, I think it's important to understand, like the what is happening in medicine at this moment that changes this. So initially. Doctors were very patient-driven. They focused, they catered to each patient's needs. You would go see somebody, take a long time, probably at their home, right? Yeah. Like do a house call. Take a long time to take their history, do an exam, um, get to know them. You mm-hmm. would forge a bond with them, like a, a real trust. Okay. You're their doctor. They are your patient. This is This is a sacred bond that you are forming and so you are committed to making them feel better to making them better whatever that looks like you're committed to doing that through any means necessary um and that that relationship and the trust was almost as comforting as just about anything that doctors had to offer at this Mm -hmm. point in time because a lot of their therapeutic options were flawed yeah Less than ideal. Right. Like bloodletting or mercury or. Or we could go on. Yes. We, in uh, fact, we have. Or there's a whole podcast. Two episodes. <laughs> uh, now, over time, this relationship, while I think you could say beautiful in many ways, and, and I mean like the, the idea of a healer and their, their healy. Their, their heel. Their heel-ish. Heel, yeah. 
It, I mean, it's a very, it's they're a beautiful Heelys. relationship it's the in concept. Her Heelys. It's the story of a doctor, uh, Patch Adams Jr., when <laughs> they wear Heelys everywhere in the hospital and they inspire the kids to get better. That's a great movie. Over time, this inevitably had to change as doctors began to cater to more and more patients and as medicine became institutionalized. A lot, so, of people, a lot more people going to doctors when they started being able to fix things. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. And also, like the hospital began to become the dominant institution, you know, that that was where medicine happened and your and your doctors were trained there. And so they began to lean less on like a patient focused, patient first kind of um, theory of medicine and more on like a laboratory focused theory of medicine. We learn what works in a lab and then we apply it to patients as opposed to learning what works based on your individual patient and their response to a medicine. And and this is good in a sense because this is evidence-based medicine. You don't treat patient A this way and patient B that way. You treat hypertension this way and you treat diabetes that way. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That, and that, that needed to happen because there were a lot of people who were doing a lot of dangerous stuff and it needed to happen so that everybody knew about the newest advances in medicine and was trained to use them so that all patients, no matter where they lived or what doctors they were seeing, got appropriate treatment. Right. Um, but it also kind of eroded that bond. You no longer had that, that deep connection necessarily to your physician. I mean, I'm not saying you can't, but it wasn't a given. You didn't have that faith and trust in them. And so the idea of just any old therapy. They were just reading out of a book like any creep could. <laughs> Well, they weren't individualizing that treatment to you as much. And so the idea, that faith that it's going to work as well, starts to go away too, you know? That makes perfect sense. Um, a medicine worked now if science said it worked, not because the patient said they felt better after they took mm -hmm. it. And, and so the more distance between the patient and the doctor, the harder it is for just trust and comfort to heal the patient. Um, uh, Richard Cabot, who was a physician who did some groundbreaking work in the field of hematology. Study of blood. Yes, very good, very good. Uh, also helped to shift things. He was trained to use placebo as part of his practice, but by the time he was uh, on his own writing influential papers, he said, listen, deception is wrong. It doesn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter if it works or not. Lying to your patient is always wrong. Stop. Even though I was trained to use placebo, I would advise against it. And this sounds like, well, who cares? This is a big deal. To say this out loud and write it in a paper and send it out to other really? doctors was a big deal at the time. Because everybody kind of accepted that you did that. And you also don't say it because... Hey, you're you messing out the, the placebo effect. No. Um, there was a big... There was also a big groundbreaking um, investigation on something called Perkins tractors. I have not heard this before. These were the tractors, the, the metal prong that were supposed to cure disease. And then there was this big uh, trial with a or this big test with a placebo done at the time that um, proved that they didn't work. I don't want to say too much more about them other than that this helped to shift the balance on placebo because this is our episode for next week. Ah, all right. Because this is a great story. Next week, you'll learn more about Perkins tractors. Um, and then we first see the the term, not just placebo, but placebo effect used in 1920 in a paper in The Lancet by T.C. Graves talking about some psychiatric medications that didn't seem to be biologically active, but nevertheless, he was seeing an effect in, in his um, patients, and he began to talk about the concept of the placebo effect. So not okay. just a placebo, but 
some natural effect, effect yeah. that might occur from taking a medication, even if it didn't, it, you know, essentially do anything. Um, so now, even as doctors were questioning the use of intentional placebo, evidence-based medicine was creating this growing demand for researchers to actually prove what did work, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so now you're saying we can't just use fake medicine. Well, how the heck do we know what works? Well, we got to do trials. And so there were a lot of researchers arguing we need to do things where we give some patients medicine and we don't give other patients medicine and we see what happens. Right. And doctors were very reluctant to do that because that sounded unethical. So you have a medicine that you think might work. Let's give it to everybody. Yes, I can understand. And that that makes sense, right? You think it might work. What if you... What if somebody who doesn't get it dies and it did work? You harmed them. But the problem is we don't know it works. Yeah, but what if it does? What if it doesn't? But what if it does? What if it doesn't? You see what the... if you give it to people <laughs> and it kills them? You see the issue here. Uh, so there was a lot of debate as to whether or not this was okay. And the other argument that they were making was, do you really think this placebo effect is such a big... Everybody's talking about this placebo effect. Is that a real thing? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not real... It shouldn't matter. You should be able to, like, I should be able to say, hey, Justin, I'm going to give you a pill. I'm not going to give a pill to your buddy, and we'll see if it works for the same disease you have. And we'll just trust whether or not you get better, right? Mm -hmm. If there's no placebo effect, you don't need a control. You just, that's it. Right. Right? It works or it doesn't. You give the medicine, or you don't even have to do a trial. You just give the medicine to everybody and see if they get better. So the placebo effect had to be real for doctors to be okay with this. Yeah, I understand. Okay, in comes Henry Beecher. He was a Harvard anesthesiologist and an ethicist, and he, in 1955, gathered data from 15 different studies of 1,082 patients with all these different kinds of pain. And from analyzing all these studies, he stated that a placebo analgesic, a a fake pain pill, is effective on average in 35.2% of cases and depending on the patient and the pain, that could range anywhere from as little as 4% of the patients to 86% of some patients are going to respond to a placebo. Okay, I, I'm sure Hank did some great work in his time. You can't say that it's... You can't say that Between 4% and 86%. You might as well say, I have absolutely no idea. No, they were very, they were very, very causes of pain and patience. 4%. 4% with this pain, 86% with that pain. I learned that fact you just told me made me dumber. No, okay. No less after hearing it. You, there were some things, um, pain that was the least intense did not show as much of a response to placebo. Whereas extremely intense pain like angina, like heart pain, heart muscle pain, that happens when your heart's not getting enough oxygen, that was very sensitive to placebo. Okay. Um, If if you thought a placebo would work, you were more likely for it to work. Okay. If you didn't think it was going to work, it's less likely for it to work. Um, And there were, anyway, he wrote all this out and there were a lot of different reasons for it, but... This was very compelling. After he published this, a lot of doctors said, well, heck, if the placebo effect is really as big as Dr. Beecher is saying that it is, we got to do these studies. Yeah, we have to do, we have to do double-blind studies. So this was revolutionary. This study, which demonstrated the 
the breadth and depth of the placebo effect is why so many people adopted the double blind wow. study as as the and why we have them probably as rampantly as we do today is they're, they're the gold standard right um he also published a study in 1961 i thought this was interesting that suggested that surgeons that he called enthusiasts relieve <laughs> their patients chest pain and heart problems more than patient than surgeons who were skeptics Surgeons that were like pumped to be there. Yeah, surgeons who were just like really like this is gonna work. This is gonna work. Don't worry, we got we got gotcha. you. Mm. Their patients did better. Um, and uh, this uh, there was also the same year Walter Kennedy coined the term nocebo. I just like to mention this. This is like a bad placebo. You know, it's weird. You mentioned that to me while you were researching two days ago. This morning, I watched an episode from last season that opened with some John Ham Ham narration about no. Really? That's strange. That is strange. They, they actually, I thought it was kind of interesting. They actually drew a connection between the idea of nocebos and the, the stuff like the dancing and other mass mm. delusions. That's interesting. You, you can kind of, yeah, it's something that you think can cause you harm and your mind manifesting that harm. Even though it doesn't. The, even though it doesn't you, exist. It, technically, I think it's kind of the, the, the flip side of, of it's, what we're talking in essence, it is what the Catholic Church was doing with the fake holy relics sure. because yeah. people were reacting as if they caused them pain when they didn't. So a nocebo is something that shouldn't cause you pain, but you react as if it does. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, the word obacalp was used to sell placebo medicines. Backwards. That's placebo, placebo backwards. backwards. But you'll find nice. a lot of medicines that were called that. Even into the 90s, it was usually just a sugar pill. It could um, be a little bit more clever. I think Dr. <laughs> In my in my own practice, I have, and this is not something that I certainly have done or that I know of people doing now, but I've heard doctors like to tell tale of the old days, things that used to happen yeah. in the old days. Things y'all used to be able to get away with. Right. So I've heard tale of uh, knackle being used. You know what knackle is? Uh, knackle is, is that table is that salt? It's sodium chloride. It's saline solution, like that you like the fluid, IV mm-hmm. fluids. Giving somebody a shot of knackle. So we can give you some knackle. Yeah. Um, or like just giving somebody a saline flush to flush their IV, which you need to do. So it's not like a harmful thing to do, but like saying that it's a medicine and the patient saying their pain was better, even though you didn't give them anything. Or like switching something to IV. Like somebody keeps asking for an IV pain medicine, so you give them IV Tylenol and they say that they're all oh, good. I got that stuff I needed. <laughs> I've heard these things. We are not allowed to do this. This is not something that we do now. You get in big trouble. If House you do this. does it. Yeah, we don't do that. Um, I'm I'm not saying there is no doctor anywhere who ever does it. I don't know. I can't vouch for everybody. All I know is we don't do it. We're certainly not trained to do that. Um, there's some general rules with placebo. Supposedly, shots are more effective than pills for pain. You're gonna use a placebo. Yeah, people tend to think very, a shot works better. But pe- very but legit. but pills are more effective for sedation, for like sleeping pills and that kind of thing. Um. Blue pills work better for sleeping. Red pills work better for pain. Oh, I know it. If a medicine is expensive, brand name, hard to get, it tends to have more effect. If your yeah. doctor's really excited about it, it tends to have more of an effect. Of course, yeah. Now, this all sounds like it makes sense, right? Sense, right? At this point, we've accepted all this. So now we know this is how placebo happened, and mm-hmm. this is why we use double-blind studies, and the placebo effect is real, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the problem with all this. Beecher lied. 
What do you mean? That big study that I cited was um, reevaluated in like 97 by some German scientists and found that most of his results were inaccurate and some of his conclusions were just straight up like they conflicted with the data he presented. Oh, no. It's unclear if he misinterpreted. I mean, he was a good scientist. He was a good doctor, a good scientist. So it's unlikely that he just didn't get it. So it's unclear if he misinterpreted things or if he was trying to maybe exaggerate findings to push science in the direction of placebo-controlled double-blind studies. Like he knew something like this was necessary to sway doctors, and so he published it, even though maybe it wasn't quite that real. A 2001 systematic review of a bunch of different clinical trials showed that essentially there is no placebo effect except occasionally with some subjective symptoms like pain Mm -hmm. subjectively someone might report that that it's better but it's only to the extent that like if you're in pain and i give you a placebo there's a chance that you might say your pain is less Mm -hmm. but it doesn't eliminate pain it doesn't cure things the placebo effect i'm not saying it doesn't exist but it is not nearly what science thought it was for many decades wow um yeah, a lot of a lot of what we think. I'm not. I'm the, yes, it can happen, but it is not the problem that we used to think it was. There are studies that have kind of looked into like brain activity and receptors to try to figure out why there might be some placebo effect in some causes, and they've seen some things like endorphin release and dopamine release that could explain why you feel better, even if nothing chemically should have made you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it is not nearly the the influencer that we thought it was. And as I said, it is now considered unethical to give a patient a placebo knowingly and lie to them because it violates the outside um, of like a research yeah outside scenario. of a research setting outside of a research setting because and when you when you enter a research study you sign papers that say i know i might be getting a placebo yeah it's fine just let me know so i can chew it up well, no. the good sugar <laughs> um but no but like if i were to walk into a patient's room and try to give him a medicine that i said was real and wasn't that would be I mean, that, that vi- that's unethical. That mm-hmm. violates the principle of autonomy, which means you have the right to the information about your body and to everything I'm going to do to it and to consent to it or not. And you wouldn't consent if I told you, I'm going to give you something fake. Is that cool with you? You probably <laughs> would not be okay with that. So obviously we, we don't do that. But some have offered this, and this is my final parting thought on this. If placebo effect is real sometimes, and if... A placebo, let's say it's a sugar pill, something harmless. Um, If it could help a patient, is not giving it harming them? I don't know. If we could take advantage of the placebo effect, especially in situations of like chronic pain where maybe there isn't a great solution right now, if there's something that would help them that wouldn't harm them but wasn't really supposed to. No. I'm not proposing. I'm not no. saying that I believe this. You know, I'm just telling you that these are the ethical know why? arguments. Do you want me to actually tell you why I think my point? That sure. I and I agree you. with you. Let me say I've, straight up. I agree with you. When I think have patients should always before. know what we're doing to their bodies. I don't I don't think we should ever be trying to deceive someone about their health care. I have a different I have a different reason. Of thinking. OK. Uh, I think that we are all of us, not just ourselves, but we are members of this this great human race of ours and i think that if i get something that that i think works for me and i start telling people that this thing works then i am actually like not advancing like human knowledge and like the mm. the cause of the species 
you look at the stuff that we do and it is like the stuff that we talk about and it is millennia of people saying like, well, this thing works for me. It must work. And like, that is exactly what you're talking about. And I don't want to be party to that. And I think that even if I, whether I do or don't want to be party to it, I think you owe me the option of, of deciding whether or not I want to be party to it. And, but the irony of course there is that in a lot of situations, if you give me that option, you have actually removed it for the placebo effect. Because mm-hmm. if you say, like, want this? Like, no. Then, like, unless you've got one of those men in black lasers that erase my memory, then it, the ship has sailed. <laughs> but that is my, that is my thing. I don't want to be, I don't want to be advanced. I don't want to be, I don't want to believe in a fake cure, uh, even if it helps. I you're wanna, not, you're not a fan of goop, then. Not a fan of Goop. Though I heard they're hiring their own, you know, truth seeker. Their own fact checker. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good might luck. Be a cool, might be a cool start before he starts selling people vitamins and stuff, but whatever. Good luck and Godspeed to whoever winds up in that position. Yeah. yeah. So don't, doctors don't do this. This is not good anymore, except for in studies. That's it. You got any sugar pills, though? You us. Honey, if you just want sugar, like we have sugar. Not in pills. But we have a bag. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, uh, We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Um, Thank you to our sponsors, and thank you to you for listening. If you get a second and you can tweet about the show, we're at Sawbones on Twitter. I'm at Justin McElroy, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y, and she is at Sydney McElroy, S-Y-D-N-E-E. And uh, follow us We have there. an email, too. We have an email, sawbones at maximumfun.org. What's Maximum Fun, you ask? Well, it's just the finest podcast network this side of the Mississippi. Full of uh, great shows that you'll love to enjoy, like Stop Podcasting Yourself, Judge John Hodgman, and so many others. We hope and you'll... I'm oh, going to... Bubble fiction series that uh, we, has just wrapped that you would love. It's kind of like a post-apocalyptic Buffy with like a hipster vibe. It's great. I'm going to be on a show next week. What? Court Appointed. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So my dad and my Uncle Michael do like a, it's sort of like a legal sawbones. Legal sawbones. like sawbones, except for law, because he's a lawyer. My dad's not. Yeah. Uh, but my uncle is. And anyway, Court Appointed, and I'll be on there to talk about medical malpractice. Awesome. Well, uh, make sure to check that out. And yeah, thank it comes you out Monday. For checking us out. That's going to do it for us, folks. So, until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Cindy Marys. And as always, don't draw a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.